Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I mean, this moment, like being free, being doing what I want to do. This transition, this summer, has been my proudest moment. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Without further ado, I will introduce my guest today, who I am more than excited to introduce. So, let's go. Sashir Zameda is a comedian, actress, and writer. Best known for her great work on Saturday Night Live the last few years, she received improv and sketch training from the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and performed stand-up at colleges and clubs across the country. She's appeared on People of Earth, Transparent, Inside Amy Schumer, and Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. She co-created and co-starred in the web series Pursuit of Sexiness, which was named one of the top ten web series by Variety magazine. Sashir has been listed in Cosmopolitan's 13 Funny Women to Watch, Time Out New York's Top 10 Funniest Women in New York City, and Brooklyn Magazine's 50 Funniest People in Brooklyn, and Complex Magazine's Women in Comedy You Should Be Paying Attention to Right Now. She's performed at the most prestigious festivals in the world, including Bonnaroo, South by Southwest, Moon Tower, Sketchfest in San Francisco, Vodafone, Bridgetown, New York, Brooklyn, Limestone, North Carolina, Great American Comedy, Women in Comedy, and the New York Comedy Festivals. Sashir's first stand-up special, Pizza Mind, premiered on CISO. She stars in the films Slight, Yoga Hosers, The Outdoorsman, and Deirdre and Lainey Robitrain. She's done incredible voiceover work for BoJack Horseman, Call of Duty, Albert on Nickelodeon, and the Lucas Brothers Moving Company. She also serves as the ACLU Celebrity Ambassador for Women's Rights. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, Sashir Zameda. 
Yeah, you got All it. All <laughs> right, I did it. I feel so strongly today. It's odd, but there's something about you that's transferring to me this power. Yeah. I know you know how talented you are. I know you know what you're capable of. I know you know what the landscape is. And I know you know this business is filled with doubt, which is the greatest career killer of all time. But there's something about you that screams to me that you have the power to always overcome all the times when this business breaks your legs. Wow. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I think so. I feel like I've, I don't know. I've had my legs broken, (laughs) so I feel like uh, rejection is a thing that has built up a, I don't know, kind of thick skin, I guess. Do you remember the first time you were doing something in this business where you felt rejected? Yeah. Um, after college, I went to the University of Virginia, majored in drama, and I was doing improv, and I took a semester and a summer to work at Disney World. They had a Disney college program. And I thought I would stay in the Disney family. I was like, oh, I'm already in the system, so maybe I'll work at Disney more. And I was on some listserv that would send out casting calls for different things. And so there was one for a big band jazz singer at Tokyo Disney. I've never been a big band jazz singer before, but for some reason I was like, this is it. And I didn't have any post-graduation plans, but I was like, this seems like a cool thing to do for a year and then I'll figure it out after that. And so I I was in Charlottesville, Virginia and I took a Chinatown bus to New York to to do this audition. And this is my first real life audition that wasn't like a school play or something. You took a bus from Virginia to New York. Well, I drove to DC and then took a bus from DC to New York, yeah. Could you tell the audience what the material was for the audition for Tokyo Disney World? We had to sing a song of your choice, and then we had there was a dance portion where they would teach you choreography and you would do it. And I was <laughs> so green and just truly didn't know what I was doing. But I, I had my sheet music for open arms. That was like my go-to singing audition song and uh and because i knew that dancing was involved i was like i want to look cute but also comfortable so i had these yoga pants and like a cute pink top or something but what i didn't know is that you do the singing portion first dressed up and then if they ask you back for the dancing portion then you change your clothes so i'm looking at everybody else in like heels and ties and dress shirts and i'm like why are they're gonna be so unprepared for the dancing portion and then realize oh you change um, so I look like a slob compared to everybody else. <laughs> and then I did my singing audition and it was fine, I guess. I, I mean, the piano was going way slower than I wanted it to. And I kept <laughs> tapping my thigh to like make them catch up to me. But, uh, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And yeah, the, the people, the casting people were just like, okay, thank you. And I was like, um, but what, the, what about the next part? And they're like, that's enough, thanks. And then I left and I was just crying down the street, calling my dad like, that That was it, that was my plan and it's gone. And I don't have any plan because I knew, I was positive that I was going to Tokyo Disney and I wasn't. So I just went back home or went back to Charlottesville to 
finish school <laughs> and then uh, w- lived in Maryland with my ex stepmom for a few months and like worked at Starbucks. Your ex stepmom. Yeah, because I've never heard that before. Yeah, well, she was my stepmom, and then her and my dad split, and now she's technically my ex stepmom. But and I guess I could say my stepmom, but I have had a stepmom after her, so. <laughs> So she's my ex-stepmom. In those relationships, is there always a point in time where you're heard uttering the sounds from a hallway, you're not my mother? <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that to her. We we did have a rough patch when I was younger, when they when because they married when I was 11, I think, and I lived with my mom, my biological mother, and... Yeah, I I did have those feelings of you're not my mother and was I was a real bitch. I was real shitty to her for a couple of years and then eventually, I'm not sure what changed, but I started to like her and she was like a cool other parent I could talk to who wasn't my mom or my dad and she was really great at advice and then when I was 18, her and my dad split and I was like, "Oh, fuck. I don't know what to do because I just started liking this lady <laughs> and I love her." And so I I called her for her birthday that year after I found out they had split and we just talked for hours and she was like, you can keep calling me if you want. And I was like, I think I will. So I kept calling her and then, yeah, I just chose to keep her in my life. And that felt like the first real adult thing that I ever did where I was like, I'm making a decision to make this person stay. I don't have to, you know, live the way that like whatever else is going on in my family doesn't matter like i i know i love this person so i want to keep her around so yeah i invited her to my graduation and then like would visit her as much as my parents and after i graduated from college i didn't want to live at home back in indiana where my mom is and i didn't want to live my dad so i lived with my ex-stepmom was your dad friendly with her still or no i think cordial they didn't like talk or anything and they didn't have kids together so they had no reason to continue talking everybody wants love every song on the radio it's about either finding love losing love or getting crushed by a love a person who's looking for love it's like they board the plane you know whatever kind of plane it is it could be a little prop plane But they crawl out of the wreckage. They dust themselves off. They limp out of the wreckage. And the first thing they say is, ah, where's the nearest airport? <laughs> but you would never do that. But it would love you always do that. Yeah. And so I'm wondering for you, when you witness these situations where people are in your life who are your parents and step-parents, they're searching for love they find love they lose love then they go back again how did that affect you in your relationships and love it greatly affected me i remember telling my dad that seeing his movement between women and he's if you met him you'd be like what a charming man what a like nice upstanding citizen of society um but he has married a lot of women and been with a lot of women. And I don't know how he treats the women he's with in the relationship. I've never seen him, you know, be abusive or anything like that. But like he has 
cheated on people and like not been the best example of a partner and that built a lot of distrust with me and made me really wary of men in general so I didn't start dating till I was 23 and because I the idea of meeting someone who could be great could be a great guy seem honest and then one day realize oh he hasn't been honest this whole time or for a period of time he hasn't been honest that's was scary to me I didn't want to even try to do that I didn't want to participate in that because it just even thinking about my mom, like it, I don't know. There was, there was probably so many other things going on in their marriage that I don't even know about, but you know, to my nine year old self, it seemed like one day he woke up and was like, I don't love you anymore. And that's terrifying that you could fall out of love. But I didn't understand that concept. I was like, well, when you're in love, you're in love and that's it. So you should just be together forever. But there's tens of other things that are in a relationship that have nothing to do with love and it complicates things. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, Instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I mean, had to be a special guy to have you finally say, all right, I'm going to let go and let God or whatever it is. I'm going to go with this. And this is the guy I've chosen to start my journey with. He, we went to the same college together and we dated after college, um, but we had a lot of the same friends in common. He seemed great. He was like, he, he was very smart and I don't know, he was great on paper. And uh, in my mind, I was like, I should just try it to see, I don't know, just to see what it would be like to be in a relationship, to like let go a little bit. So you had no attachments. You weren't saying to yourself, whoever I choose, that's gotta be the one that's it. I guess I thought like, oh, this will be practice for another relationship, which I can't imagine he would like hearing that. But, but you know, it was like, I just figured there would be another one at some point in time, so I should try it now <laughs> to know what it's like. Um, and if this one works out forever, that's great too. But I, I should start <laughs> trying. I'm in my early 20s and I haven't dated anybody yet, so I'm missing out on a lot of just life experience. Did you crush him or did he crush you? Huh. I mean, I broke up with him, but I felt crushed. Like, it felt like he made me break up with him because <laughs> he was, it was probably bad timing. It was probably a lot of things. It was like, um, he just wasn't a good boyfriend to me. And 
he I'm sure he is now to somebody else and probably has been good a good boyfriend to other people before me but at that time uh we probably both weren't fulfilling each other's needs and so I'm the one who broke it off and the energy I received felt like good I'm glad you said it so that I wouldn't have to do it and he wanted to be friends afterwards and I was like no man I can't (laughs) I can't do that do you think sometimes when a woman does break up with a guy she wants him to fight for her to get her back hmm maybe sometimes I think it's particularly to the woman I didn't want to get back with him I really did want to stop being with him because um, I wasn't happy. And I was like, I don't want more of this. And we had talks. It wasn't like, I've I've never done anything where I just like cut something off cold. I never quit a job or like broken up with somebody or like a relationship or a friend with without a talk before because I want it to get better. I want it to do well. So um, he he should have known that I wasn't happy already and then it didn't change and I was like well it should end then people in their personal lives a lot of times it mirrors what happens in their professional lives I remember Sherry O'Terry telling me about how she felt on Saturday Night Live she did a hundred episodes and every day that she started the week she felt like she was auditioning for the show you take somebody like tracy morgan i could say this if tracy were here i represented him for many many years i think tracy had a little bit of farley in him not the horrible addict not the guy who was a wrecking ball of joy but almost was just like i'm just here and i'm oblivious to the fact that i'm not doing well and I'm just going to be friendly and jovial to everybody. And hopefully this will turn around. Even did a sketch one time where he <laughs> these are my highlights of the show. And it was all him waving goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that when I was around SNL, Will Ferrell had no attachment to any political thing that happened. Now, it could be arguing, but that's because he got on all the time. He just did not care what anybody thought of him. He just had no fear. And I found that in that show, and in most jobs, when you have no fear, you have a better shot of navigating through the craziness. And when you're walking on eggshells wondering whether you're going to make it or not, that's when things start to go haywire. And so, regardless of being SNL or any of the things you went into, do you feel like you went into them in a way where, you know, I'm going to try this, I'm excited about it? Yeah, I think so. I think I try my hardest to be, like, open and game to change and figure out how to be, you know, malleable to the situations. But then after a while, it's like, oh, okay. If I, after a while, after trying and trying and trying and trying, uh, you know, you got to realize, oh, I'm not the problem. And then get out. <laughs> that's, but yeah, I, I think I have approached a lot of jobs like a relationship where, or and maybe not on purpose, but just like if, if something's not working, my go-to is to talk to somebody. And that's how I do it in relationships. Something doesn't feel right. We should talk about this. 
and see why because you might be thinking something that i don't know about or vice versa maybe i have an understanding that you didn't know and we need to be clear on that that's how i like to operate but um some people don't and then you gotta decide for yourself am i willing to work with this person who doesn't speak my same language or doesn't want to be as open and honest as i'd like to be there's only one person that speaks your language as an artist you sure but there's people that you can find who can understand your language that's true when did you know that when you looked in the mirror you were like wow i'm more special than maybe the average person in terms of comedy and looking in the mirror and saying i love what i see i love myself that i love myself part took a long time um i don't know if i can even think of a particular time when i was looked in the mirror and was like yeah <laughs> i mean when i was younger I mean, I, I've had like so many issues of self-doubt and uh, confidence issues that I've been trying to work through. And I'm like, I seem very confident, but I, I grew up very shy. Um, and and sometimes I'm still fighting that voice. It's like, who who do you think you are? Like, why do you think people need to hear what you have to say? But, you know, that's quieter than it used to be. And I don't know if I've ever thought that I'm, more special than anyone else I, I think I would I don't know I, I think that would maybe like hinder what I do a little bit if I started to think like I I'm just I just am better because maybe I wouldn't work as hard but I don't know I feel like I got where I am right now because I worked really hard and also like opportunity and being in the right place at the right time and et cetera, et cetera. but I also worked a shit ton and that's not something that I I would do if it was like, if I felt like I have a gift and I'm special. <laughs> it's like, no, I need to work to learn how to write and, and create and express myself and find my voice and, and get it out to the people so they know what, what I can do. What was the first thing that you created or did where you got done with it? And even you, who might have been filled with doubt, you came home, you sat on the couch in the fetal position, and you said, I did it. I cracked the code. Hmm. I don't know what the first thing is, but I can think of a couple things. One was my improv group doppelganger. It was me and two other black ladies. This was in at UCB. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess we... we I was doing improv with Nicole Byer separately and I was doing improv with Keisha Zoller and then I suggested that we all three improvise together and uh, yeah, we were, we still are a powerhouse. We still perform together when we can and when I perform with them, it's like, we are unstoppable. <laughs> like It feels like electric and um, we bring the best out of each other. So that, and so we would get off stage and just really feel like I left it out there. Like I left everything out there. We did everything we could possibly could and it felt great. Um, when you're with three people, how do who you speak my language? <laughs> <laughs> how do you alternate the straight person? 
You know, we kind of never did. Or no, we do. We do alternate sometimes. But most of the time, we kind of fall into the same pattern. So I'm usually a straight man, which I love being the straight man. Um, it uh, works for Ben Stiller very well in Ice Cube. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes there there isn't as much love given to the straight man as, you know, the person who's being wacky and loud and stuff. Who is the funniest person in Seinfeld, in your opinion? Um, I mean, I would say Elaine. Who is the second funniest person with the most laughs? George. And who was the third funniest person <laughs> with the most laughs? Kramer. And who was last? Jerry. And who made more money than anybody else? <laughs> I mean, Jerry. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So you're in a good place. Yeah. But I also struggled with that, too, because, like, during imp- improv classes, I would get notes that would be, like, be bigger, be louder, be like, you know, go outside your comfort zone. And I was like, I feel like what I'm doing is funny, but I guess not. And then I finally had a teacher who him, he himself is a straight man and is really good at being a straight man. He saw what I was doing and was like, oh, here's a better way to do what you're doing. Here's a better way to be a straight man. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's what I would prefer. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to be like, you know, you can do other things and like have range and I have range, but what I like doing <laughs> is wrangling other people and like kind of dancing around that they're crazy. Um, Tell our audience what it takes and what are some of the qualities that you were taught to be a great straight. When I say straight man and you're a woman, do women say straight man? You know? I, I guess I still say straight man too. I think some people's perception of what a straight man does is stopping the fun. And that's not what we're doing. You're not stopping the action and being like, wait a minute, let me call out the logic here. You're calling the logic out, but you're still allowing the fun to happen. So you kind of have to identify what the game is or what the theme is, where, where you're going. And then like egg it along enough to be like, I see what the crazy is. I'm calling it out and I'm, I'm, I'm the eyes of the audience and I'm kind of telling everyone why it's ridiculous, but I'm allowing it to happen because it should happen. It'd be so boring if it stopped. Tell me a time when you came back home, got on the couch in a different way in the fetal position and you put your head in your hands and you're like, God, I have a lot of character. I'm a great person, but I think I was a real asshole today and I did something really bad and I got to figure out how to clean that one up. Which story will I tell? <laughs> there was one time when I was starting off at improv classes and I wanted to desperately feel like I was part of this community. And I was, but you know, the people didn't know me, I was new. And I remember talking to a teacher and I don't even know what we talked about or how long we talked, but I left the conversation feeling so horrible i was like am i awkward like is something wrong with me that it's not, that it didn't feel good and i can't imagine he felt good afterwards either and I was, it made me question everything i was like maybe i should just quit <laughs> like I'm, i suck and then and then it took me a while to be like oh everyone else is awkward <laughs> this wasn't me um, I mean, I can be awkward, but like we're all neurotic in some sort of way. So it, once I realized that it, navigating 
people in this community was much easier. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a moment where I was like, am I bad? <laughs> Can I not hack it here? Um, and then, I mean, so many times that SNL when I went home and, and was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what is wrong. <laughs> I don't know what the thing is even, or like there was an interaction or like maybe I was too blunt about giving a note or maybe I, I, I was confused about a, a, a sketch and, and we never really got to an actual answer. Yeah. But there's, there's so many things where now I, I feel a little freer where I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I care, but like it, whatever. I, I won't remember this in in a few years or I'll look back at it and be like, oh yeah, I was really upset at, at that thing, but it's fine. Hey everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I want to go way, 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 way back. Okay. So I want to just talk about where you grew up, mm -hmm. what was the socioeconomic dynamic, how many kids in the family, what was happening growing up up until the point where you talked about before and then what was your first inspiration of getting into this crazy business yeah well uh my dad was in the air force so we moved around a bunch i was born in okinawa japan and then we moved to San Antonio, Texas, and then Hampton, Virginia, Riverside, California. Is that why you wanted that Disney Japan gig? I guess so, yeah. I, I was already used to traveling, and I did want to go back to Japan just to visit my roots. <laughs> and I still haven't been back to Japan since I was 10 months old or something, um, so I would like to see it as an adult. Um, I'll, I'll get there. But yeah, we moved around a bunch, and then my parents split when I was nine. And me, my mom, and my brother, who's uh, seven years younger than me, moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, because her sisters live there, and I had a lot of cousins there. And then my dad moved to Maryland with his new wife, my ex-stepmom. How many days a year did you spend with your dad? I think maybe a week or two in the summer, and then uh, Christmas. So essentially two or three weeks a year you only got to spend with your dad. Yeah, from like 10 to 18. Some people get less. But yeah, it wasn't it was a drastic drop and um 
I mean, that whole process was bad. It wasn't a nice divorce. It was pretty ugly. And people didn't say really nice things. I always say happy ex-wife, happy life. Hmm. Well, she was not happy. And yeah, and that I could see it. I could see everything. I mean, I, I probably didn't see everything, but I saw enough to have it negatively impact me. Um, and But also like, I don't want to be like, my parents ruined everything, but you know, it wasn't like they didn't do a good job of hiding how much they really didn't want to be with each other and uh, disliked each other. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, and I, and my relationship with my dad is way better now, but it took a moment because we had this very surface relationship for such a long time because when we saw each other, we'd try to be on our best behavior and be like, this is it. We only have like a couple weeks to cram in as much family time as we can. And so it wasn't real. And, uh, yeah, but, but now I feel like since college, like, especially when after I opened up about how viewing him and men in general affected me, uh, we've been way more honest with each other and, and, you know, now we're like, adults we get to talk to each other like adults and like people and realize that we are people it took me a while to realize that parents are people <laughs> and the first inspiration to getting into the business um my volleyball coach oh i did tons of activities basketball track i was in show choir orchestra uh, i was on in the honor society prom committee like i just did so much um Partly because I wanted to like get scholarships because I wanted to leave and go to a different school out, out of state. Is that how your guidance counselor tells you you get scholarships as you join all these different clubs? I mean, not specifically, but I think it was like if you have good grades and you look like you are an active member of the school community, then yeah, you have a better chance of getting scholarships. So I had good grades and I did a shit ton of stuff. So... I was, and I did get a lot of scholarships. What inspired you? Well, in high school, I watched I Love Lucy all the time. And I watched Mad TV and SNL and thought it would be so fun to be on a show like that. When you were watching Mad TV and SNL, which one did you like better? Mad TV. It was more pop culture. It was more like you know, all like singers and, you know, they're parroting Britney Spears and Whitney Houston. And, uh, it just, I maybe leaned younger and where SNL was so political and I didn't care about that at the time. So yeah, it was more, it, Mad TV appealed more to me at the time. Which cast members on Mad TV moved you? I mean, Deborah Wilson is number one. <laughs> like she, is so 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 funny and it was just great to see a black woman be hilarious and like kind of rule the cast like she was in so many sketches and had so many characters and and is like so talented in so many nuanced ways like she could be so big but also like have really small detailed actions like i don't know she was a machine and i loved her when i opened my comedy club in greenwich village on west third street simultaneously the old village gate the 400 seat room opened up their room with a group called new york talk and deborah wilson was one of the stars of that group 
So was that your first inspiration in the business? Yeah, I guess so. But at the time, I didn't really think that I could do that. I mean, I, I thought like I would love to do that, but I just didn't even know how those people got there. So it, it didn't cross my mind to even try. I was like, well, that's great that that exists, but I don't know how to do that. When SNL was really female-centric, where it had Anna Gosteyer and Sherry O'Terry and Molly Shannon and Nancy Walls, was that inspirational for you? Or you- no, I, that was a huge inspiration. And I thought that that was how it was. Like, I was like, this is how it always is. Just powerful women <laughs> taking charge and being super funny all the time. Um, it's not, <laughs> but, but it was. I was glad to see that and grow up with that. And yeah, Anna Gasteyer is like, like I love her so much. Um, Amy Poehler. Anna Gasteyer, great straight person. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. It's such a quality that people don't realize how valuable and important it is. And then there's people like Molly Shannon. And again, I hope she wouldn't be mad if I said this. I don't think I would ever want to see her as a straight person. I don't want to see her moving the scene forward. I want to see the crazy. Yeah. So you're inspired and then you get to school and how do you find your muse what is it that starts putting in your 10,000 hours um well I was doing musicals in college and then one of my directors was like you should audition for the improv team here and I did audition didn't make it uh and then I had another friend who auditioned three times and didn't make it and I was like and she was one of the funniest people still is one of the funniest people I know and uh, and still doing comedy. And I was like, this that seems ridiculous. You should start your own group. And she was like, we should start our own group. So we started our own group and it's still going at the school. And and it was like a thing that we were doing for fun. And then the touring company for UCB came to my school my, my senior year. And it was Bobby Moynihan, Neil Casey, Shannon O'Neill, Lennon Parham. And my group and the other improv college group opened for them. And then afterwards they did a Q and A with the, with the student performers. And someone asked, how do you get a career in comedy? And Bobby Moynihan said, you move to New York, go to UCB and work really hard. And I still have not forgotten that. (laughs) And I moved to New York and still not thinking that comedy was what I was aiming for. I was still trying to like do plays and Broadway and I was auditioning for all these off Broadway things, but still going to UCB and watching shows. And then after a couple of months, I was like, I should just take a class. Just try it, because I love it so much. One, one two, three, Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention the name of somebody, just anything that comes to mind. Okay. Amy Poehler. <laughs> Happiness. Tina Fey. Uh, smart. Leslie Jones. Joy. Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> Powerhouse. Amy Schumer. Support. Kate McKinnon. <laughs> Love. Charlize Theron. Ooh. Uh, poise. Lena Dunham. <laughs> um, 
Goofy. Sarah Silverman. Um, Shining Star. Amy Adams. Sweetheart. Scarlett Johansson. Babe. <laughs> Kristen Wiig. Uh, multi-talented. Dave Chappelle. Uh, a force. Chris Rock. Um, a leader. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Great. Lauren Michaels. The boss. <laughs> awesome. Your proudest moment in show business. I mean, this moment, like being free, being doing what I want to do. This transition, this summer has been my proudest moment. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hit men from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world, many of which you'll hear on the next three weeks of podcasts. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, Pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with this team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, 
I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.